Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Reimagined Schools podcast. I'm your host, Greg Goins, and we finally made it, folks. This is it. This is episode number 100 of the Reimagined Schools podcast. So not only is this a huge accomplishment for me personally, but it's also a pretty cool club to be in as 100 episodes is certainly a huge milestone here in the podcast world. So let me begin by just saying thank you to all of you out there that have provided love and support over the last five years as we've tried to put out episodes uh, from many of the top authors, speakers, thought leaders in K-12 education as really my goal has been to create a roadmap as to how we can all think about creating better schools for kids. So it's because of you, uh, you know, we have the opportunity to share these conversations And again, thank you for being a loyal listener and for sharing the work along the way. With this 100th episode also comes some exciting new updates. Uh, As you may know from listening to the first couple episodes for the 2022-23 school year, uh, Rocket PD is now the official sponsor of the Reimagined Schools podcast. So very excited to have the Rocket PD team on board. Uh, A great group of people. You want to check them out on their website at rocketpd.com. I'm also very excited to announce that I have a new website that will be up and going here before long. Uh, We're in the final stages of putting that together, and that website will serve as a home base of sorts for all things Reimagined Schools, and uh, will provide opportunities for some of you that may have an interest in going a little deeper and doing some professional development with me uh, to help your personal growth and professional growth. Uh, as a innovative school leader. So be looking for that. I'll certainly share that out uh, on Twitter when the time comes. I'm also very excited to give you an update on my book project, which I've been working on for a very long time now. Uh, We are looking at a 2023 release date. And uh, my hope is that there will be a link on the new website where you can pre-order. And uh, I certainly, you know, hope you can jump on the website when it's up and going and take a look at uh, this book project, which is really based on all the episodes that I've done, 100 now to be exact, uh, in talking to some amazing people about how to create better schools for kids. But for now, folks, it's back to business with this week's episode. I'm delighted to share my recent conversation with Ryan Sawyer, the author of a great new book titled PBL Simplified. Ryan also has a wonderful YouTube channel that provides practical tips for educators that want to jump into project-based learning. You can check that out at pblsimplified.com. So let's get to it. Episode number 100 is coming your way right after this quick promo from the Education Podcast Network. Angela Kelly Robeck, host of the Empowered Principal Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Reimagined Schools Podcast. So excited to bring in one of the experts on project-based learning as we continue to have those discussions about how to rethink what teaching and learning looks like in the classroom. Uh, You can find him at pblsimplified.com. A big welcome to Ryan Stoyer. How are you, Ryan? Greg, I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me on the the podcast to be in the conversation. Well, I'm I'm a big fan of your work. Uh, You have a wonderful YouTube channel with all kinds of great content to help 
uh, everyone from the beginner in the PBL journey to those that are, you know, maybe more advanced. And uh, I certainly want folks to go check that out. And again, the website is PBL Simplified. You have a book coming out uh, in January of 2023 of the same name, PBL Simplified, Six Steps to Move Project-Based Learning from Idea to Reality, uh, founder of Magnify Learning. So you're doing some consulting and helping teachers kind of find their way with PBL. You are a busy guy. Yes, sir. Absolutely. I uh, love the love that you checked out the YouTube channel. You know, that just came from need to knows that we got from teachers in the field. So well, what's a driving question? How do I do community partners? So how can we do a three to five minute video, uh, you know, to answer some of those questions? And, you know, some districts will use it as, you know, an afternoon PD session, right? Or you've got individual individual teachers that are riding through those. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Just a lot of fun. Well, I want to get into your background first, because okay. you're not someone that started in the classroom, although you taught middle school English for, I think, eight years in the Indianapolis, Indiana area and had great success there in the classroom with PBL. You yeah. actually got your start as an engineer. So kind of walk our listeners through um, kind of the thought process you had. I'm sure you learned a great deal uh, in, in that engineering position about collaboration, working as a team, those kind of things. How did some of those lessons help you once you entered the classroom? Yeah, it, it's interesting how the real world piece is what really brought, I brought it in the classroom, I think, from UPS. And, you know, I think if I back up for just a second, if that's okay, is you know, my dad was a first generation college student. And that's what brought him out of poverty. Right? He was he was country poor, and you know, grandma could cook uh, a snapping turtle or a squirrel or whatever it was. Grandpa had three jobs and was a truck driver, and he went to Purdue. And engineering got him out of that. So, as a second generation college student, I went into engineering, right? Because that's all we knew. It wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do. It was my passion, but that's what we saw brought us out of that. And it turns out I loved being an engineer. It has nothing to do with trains, right? So I was working at UPS and. If you can make a package go a little bit faster, if you save one cent on 1.5 million packages, you do a pretty good job. So you're collaborating, you're thinking. My job was to work with uh, people down on the floor, moving packages, and try to explain to them brand new technology that we just brought in. Right. So it's this conversational piece of teaching, uh, collaborating with the technology group, the, the part-time supervisor, the full-time supervisor, and then I get it in a classroom and I'm surrounded by eighth graders and I'm teaching English, teaching complex sentences, and I'm looking at it going, why am I teaching this? Like these kids have really good questions. Why do we have to learn this, Mr. Stoyer? That's a great question. So that caused me to always bring it back for me back to industry to say, well, when you get into industry, you're going to have to write this to your district manager or you're going to have to give this talk. I have to explain this really difficult concept in a simple way to people. So I found myself continually taking what I was doing academically and bringing it back to the authentic use of that, that work. And, you know, I think if you if we were in a room full of teachers right now and we asked, raise your hand if you believe project-based learning is the best way to engage kids and to teach them real-world skills, I guarantee you the vast majority of those hands would go in the air. I think the biggest problem, and I know you deal with this on a daily basis, so you're a perfect person to ask this question to. Why do you think there's so many barriers and challenges still? Because teachers just don't know how to get started. And that's why you started the channel. And that's I'm sure that's why you've written the book and you are uh, so good at what you do in terms of helping folks get started. 
But why is it such a challenge when we know everyone agrees this is the best way to go? Yeah, I, I think that is where the name came from, of PBL Simplified, right? It's like, well, let's simplify this process. And then once you get into it, you're like, well, yeah, of course I would teach this way, right? Like, learners respond immediately. Once teachers get the processes and the resources are all there now. So once they get the mindset, though, that's the piece that needs to change a little bit is that tweak of, you know, it's not how important my lesson, how great my lesson is. It's about the learner's learning process. There's a little bit of a shift there. And sometimes we say giving up control, which kind of freaks people out sometimes. But we're trying to empower the learner in a different way than maybe we were taught. Right? Like teachers are typically really good at school. I was very good at school. You told me things. I wrote them down. I remembered them. So I won. But we're trying to empower learners in a different way. And somewhere it's that mind shift culture piece that just takes a second to get past. The, the other thing I might say to that, Greg, is that um, at this point, everybody has some kind of an idea of what they think project-based learning is. And some of those myths actually hold people back. So when we do PBL Simplified or we do a training, it's like a lot of it is just getting through some of the myths. Like we just start with that. Like what do you think project-based learning is? Okay, well, it's not actually that, right? It's not just cookies and shakes for everybody and we're all having fun and we're building a well. Like it starts with academic standards. There's deep, rigorous learning happening so that we can build a well, right? So a lot of it's digging through the myths at this point, I think. And I think that's a great segue into kind of my next thought. I, I think the, the greatest challenge, we hear this all the time with, with, with PBL, is you want to give kids more choice. You want to let them explore their own inquiry and passion. And so uh, with that, a lot of times I think people assume that we're just going to let kids take control of the classroom. They're going to make all the decisions. You're going to sit back and kind of watch. And as you said, you know, kind of bring the snacks and cheer them on. But we're not just going to turn this over to novice learners and assume they know what to do. There's still going to be a high level of direct instruction, a high level of planning, although it's going to be collaborative planning with the kids. But again, I think there's this misconception that we're just going to put it on autopilot and hope for the best. Yeah, I, I actually took a whole year. And then 2019, maybe, I, every presentation I gave it was give kids a choice, not the keys. Right? We're, right? We're not saying just take the car and go for a joyride, right? The teacher's still in charge of the classroom. You're still driving learning. Uh, and I think even just that, sometimes we talk about the spectrum of voice and choice, right? There's On the one side, there is you sit where I tell you to sit. You use a Ticonderoga pencil because that's what I'd say you should use. And then, and then you go a little farther, it's like you can pick your seat, okay, now you can use the book fair pencil, giving you more choice. And then if you keep going on the spectrum, eventually you hit anarchy. And anarchy is probably very engaging, but it's not great for learning, right? So you've got to find somewhere on that spectrum where you're comfortable as the educator and your learners are comfortable learning in that environment. So if somewhere on that spectrum is where you need to land, right, as an educator, um, and we don't want to push you to some place you don't want to be. But So I think the spectrum conversation sometimes helps uh, educators know that we're not just throwing the keys on the desk and saying, go for it. And, you know, with this big push now, uh, really nationwide, especially here in Kentucky, around deeper learning, you know, mm -hmm. project-based learning needs to be a, a, an integral part of that deeper learning experience. And so as we kind of think about that, um, again, you were talking a little bit about there are a lot of different definitions. How do you define the fundamental principles of project-based learning if you were speaking to teachers for the first time about it? Sure, so you're getting your learners to solve a real-world problem. 
That's that's the foundational piece. And then project-based learning is the structure to help that happen. Then they present to an authentic audience. They present their learning. They reflect. Like, there's all those steps in there. But really, we want the authenticity in the classroom because that's what brings engagement. And we want engagement so we can get to rigor. Because if you have the most well-planned out lesson plan, it's very rigorous. If I'm not engaged in it, it doesn't really matter. If I, if I don't put my head up for that, you're not going to get me to do it. And if you're just engaged, but you're not getting to rigor, then we're not really doing our jobs. So it's really the authentic real-world problem is what brings the intricacies that you can't make up in a scenario. Right? And when you have a community partner that comes in, they're going to bring solutions or problems that are, that are different that we can't think of that are really the employability skills we want our kids to have. So I don't know if I gave you a nice succinct, succinct answer to that question, but for us, the authenticity is where we kind of geek out and we kind of hold to that. And then at this point, like project-based learning has a structure where it's not the wild, wild west. You're not making stuff up. We've got a ton of resources out there at this point for people to step into. Yeah, and when I've watched some of your videos, and uh, certainly I want you to, to elaborate on this, but in terms of choosing what to actually do in the classroom setting, you're a huge advocate for solving real-world problems and actually getting community stakeholders involved to come in and be a part of that process. That's a big difference from just you know pulling a prompt uh, from Chapter 5 of the most recent PBL book. Yeah, 100%. And you know, part of that is kind of the, the research around this idea of when we get community partners into the classroom, when an engineer comes into your third grade classroom and you have third graders that don't have engineers in their network, right? They don't they don't know an engineer. When they go talk to Ryan, the engineer, and go, well, Ryan's just a regular guy. I could be an engineer. And I, I always say it's not like the like blow your mind type scenario. It's just a boop. It just puts an extra wrinkle in there that I could do that. Like, why not me? So the community partner, the authenticity, I do think I, I do, I, I, I don't know if I harp on it or it's, it's just a real passion area for us. And, you know, I think another piece to this is a lot of times I can kind of hear the fear in, in someone's voice, a new teacher that really mm -hmm. wants to try this, but they're not sure what that's going to look like. Uh, the classroom's going to get a little, little more loud. It's going to get noisy. It's going to get messy at times. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have to be able to take some of those risks and, you know, tell your building principal when you walk by, you know, it may be organized chaos, but that's okay because at the end of the day, what's most important are the learning outcomes. Well, and you, you, to that point is we've got to help leaders understand and maybe give them the freedom to say like, like what is 75% engaged classroom look like when I'm doing a walkthrough? Is it that everybody's quiet? Because I think I'd push back on that, right? Just because I'm quiet doesn't mean I'm engaged. I might be compliant, but that's not what the evaluation is looking for. If I've got 75% kids engaged, there might be a hum. that might get loud for a second. It might be that they're reading and it's super quiet, right? I don't know what that is, but kind of redefining what does engagement mean, that it's not just a quiet classroom where kids are compliant. And I, I could probably soapbox on this one too, Greg, because... The, the compliant kid is going to have a really hard time when they get outside of our system because there aren't a whole lot of employers that are looking for someone to just be compliant and go do what I tell you to do. We need critical thinkers. We need problem solvers, people that will step up and shake your hand and and be empowered to try something, even if it doesn't work. So the, the compliant student can make it all the way through K-12, sometimes through higher ed, and then at the end, they're compliant and they have a hard time in the workforce. 
Yeah, and I, and I think a, another big piece of this is the discussion around collaboration. I think there's also an assumption just because you do project-based learning, kids automatically know how to collaborate and be in, engaged as, as groups. And I mean, we can teach those collaborative skills, don't you think? Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. You know, if, if it was just about getting kids to talk, then the lunchroom would be, you know, a bastion of knowledge and this is a great place of learning. And we know it's not. So we have to teach kids how to learn, uh, how to collaborate. How do you do groups? Which means they're probably not going to do it right the first time, right? But we need to model it. We need to maybe get a rubric of like, this is what it looks like. Now, here's where we're at. Where, where do you think you're at? Right? Like, people don't want to be in an awful group. It's just what most, it's what happens. It happens with adults too. So yeah, we, we can teach it and we have to teach it. And I think also, if you think about the classroom teacher as a designer, you know, designing those, those PBL lessons around that inquiry and passion and getting kids excited about the learning process. I, I mean, I think that's so important to get kids engaged, get them up, get them active, moving around. Um, so again, that collaborative piece is so important, but you're also talking about, you know, developing strong communication skills. You're talking about allowing kids to be creative, uh, critical thinkers, all of those, those deep 21st century skills that we know uh, have to be aligned to whatever lesson plans you're creating. Yeah, and, you know, if I tie it back to what you mentioned earlier is, you know, this deeper learning movement, right, that I think Kentucky's doing really well, is you can't just say deeper learning go, right? Like there has to be a structure, there has to be some measurement of that. You know, I think I think you had uh, Envision Learning on it, your podcast as well. Like they do a great job of, you know, here's our, our stop point of like this is how we're going to measure these things, right, with our – um, you know, I think JCPS uses the backpack, right? Like there, there's this culminating event that we're going to lead towards. And because if, if the final culminating event is your senior year and you missed it, right, it's too late. So, you know, let's start in first, third grade and start to build in community or these culminating events so that we can make adjustments. Yeah. And I think a key piece there is whenever we design these lessons, uh, we've talked a lot on this podcast about recipe based learning. And the last thing you ever want is to, you know, give an assignment and get 25 students to turn in the same thing. Just right. the same thing with PBL. You want to be able to give students flexibility to kind of take ownership of their project. And it should look different. If you have six different yeah. groups in your classroom, you should see really six different projects turned in. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, the traditional science lab is can be great, right? Like science is a great open-ended critical thinking area, but if it's a, recipe science lab then we all know where we're going and we all end up in the same spot and we haven't really thought critically we just mixed some things and they bubbled right so i think that's you know i think that's something we should be looking at across the spectrum i do think that pbl kind of lends itself towards the structures of allowing that voice and choice within some guardrails that make teaching possible hey guys dr greg goins here and i hope you're enjoying this week's episode of the reimagined schools podcast We'll get right back to the conversation after this quick shout out from our sponsor, Rocket PD. There's one thing we can all agree on. The days of sit and get PD are over. That's why my friends at Rocket PD have assembled the best experts on the planet on the hottest topics on education with a mission to create the world's largest community of educators committed to helping teachers and staff succeed. So prepare for launch by going to rocketpd.com where you can connect your team with the most inspiring educators 
on the topics that matter. It's professional learning fueled by passion. Visit rocketpd.com to join the Rocket PD community and download your free ultimate guide to K-12 PD. So join Rocket PD today and get the help and support that you've been searching for. I think another thing I really like about your YouTube channel, and again, folks, you want to go check this out at pblsimplified.com. All types of great videos there, no matter what level you're at or where you're at in your PBL journey. But you talk about the fact that PBL can be done at any grade level. You even have a video on how to do it at the kindergarten level. And I think that's another one of those urban myths that you can't do PBL with small children because they're not capable of doing it. Yeah, and and I've got a podcast episode where we invited uh, kindergarten and first grade teams on, and we got to hear from the learners. And they, they wrote a book. It's a really neat PBL unit. They sold the book so that they could buy technology for the local senior center because during COVID, the seniors couldn't communicate with their families. So that was the problem that in, in some collaborative form, the teachers and the students decided they were going to go after. But what I really like is that you hear a kindergartner say, I'm an author because she is. She's a published author or I'm an illustrator. That was my job. So to take on that, I mean, most adults, you know, when, you, when I went to write my book, is like, man, am I really an author? Can I really do this? And here's this kindergartner, right, starting out like six, seven years old. And she's like, I'm an author. You know, I mean, she's going to write six books in her life. It's, it's really empowering for our learners to take on these roles. And again, she's just as published as I am, right? You go to Amazon and buy her book as soon as you can, just like mine. Right? How neat is that? Yeah, that's that's a pretty cool experience to be able to give kids those opportunities. So that's a great transition into the book. What was the uh, the goal or what was the vision in writing this particular book? Yeah, great question. So th the vision is to simplify the process like so that everyone can do this. And again, this is my passion area, of course, but I our, our goal is that 51% of schools will be doing project-based learning by 2051. So if, if you put that goal out there, several things happen. One, it has to be at a place where everybody on the innovation curve can do this. Right, like I'm sure this is a super innovative group and audience that you that are listening. But what about like the early and late majority? Like, how do we get them involved? Like, well, we've got to simplify some things. We need some structures in place, right? Because those are good, passionate teachers, right? They're just on a different part of the innovation curve. So, how do we invite them in? And the other part is going to be how do we keep everybody in, right? Like, when deeper learning goes through Kentucky, how do we make sure that it sticks? Through, through succession planning, right? Like 2051, what's this gonna look like? So that's gonna be one of my new passions is succession planning of deeper learning work. So the book is really meant to lay out a framework you know, in, in six steps. Here's how you can walk through project-based learning. And I do put in wins and I put in some fails, like some stuff that doesn't work. Because this work isn't perfect, it's innovative, it's gonna be different, you're gonna fail, but you learn from it. And then your learners can learn from that too. So there's very practical places to start, very practical stories. Um, and that's really what it's meant to do is for this to not be for the 9% innovative educators. This is for a hundred percent of educators to say, yeah, I could, I could step in right there. Like maybe I'm not ready for a full blown PBL unit, but I could bring in a community partner. Like, why wouldn't I do that? Like, why couldn't they listen to the speeches of my traditional unit, for instance, so that everybody has a foothold and everybody can join the movement. You know, again, the number one question I get, and I don't profess to be a PBL expert. I'm simply an advocate for 
doing things differently, reimagining schools, if you will. I know you get this question a lot too. Everyone, everyone wants examples. You know, where number the first question I get is where can I go to see PBL in action? Number yeah. two is if, if there's not a place I can actually get in my car and drive to, you know, where can I find examples on the web? Uh, you know, I can refer, refer them to PBL Works website. I can refer them to you. Uh, without giving anything away in the book, because we certainly want folks to jump out and buy the book, it's going to be great for any professional library. What are some examples that you can share that might be simple to help those early adopters, those teachers that really want to get into PBL, have a real-time understanding of what it looks like in the classroom? Yeah, and first, let me just legitimize those questions, right? Like, you do want to see it in action. So, like, where you're at, you know, you go to STEAM Academy, and you're going to see some really great PBL in action. Like, you're going to see a great culture. Uh, in the book, um, to give you an example of, I, I like to walk through this journey of Skyler, who was really great at school from kindergarten to third grade. Then he figured out that if you don't do any work, you still pass, right? So he's like, oh, this is easier. So he just kept quiet, didn't do any work, failed mostly, got to seventh and eighth grade, and we gave him project-based learning. And what we did is he had to learn the Punnett Square, right, in this biology course. So He's, he's a skater, and he doesn't care about the Punnett Square. So we didn't mention it. We said, you know what we're going to do is we're going to help kids, actually parents, they just found out their kid has a genetic disease. What is the first thing a parent wants to know? Number one, is my kid going to be okay? Number two, they want to know everything there is to know about that genetic disease. Hey, eighth graders, would you guys create PowerPoints, pamphlets, PSAs to help these parents know more about these genetic diseases? And a kid like Skyler says, well, yeah, I'd do that. I mean, I want to help. Okay, great. Do you guys know how to do that? No, I don't actually. So, well, you need to have the Punnett Square there somewhere. What's the Punnett Square? Great question, Skyler. Do you want your science teacher to teach you about the Punnett Square so that you can help these parents? Well, yeah, to help the parents, I'd do that. And that's the switch, right? Is like Skyler just asked to be taught a standard-based idea so that he can complete this PBL unit, really a project that's really, he just wants to help people. It's intrinsic. It's in our being that we want to help people. So in this case, it's a service learning PBL unit, however you want to define it. But he's now asking to be taught these standards-based ideas. And any time you can switch that, you've now switched the dynamic from compliant to empowered. And that's exactly what we did. Like He created some, some pamphlets that went into a doctor's office and parents actually read them. Like kids that had hemophilia, these parents actually read Skyler's work. So now Skyler is, uh, he's a freelance photographer. He's out in California, I think right now. If you go to his Instagram account, Skyler Wagner, he's got the little blue check mark. And he's got courses you can take, and that's his business. But he would say, he would point back to that flip of becoming a lifelong learner is what flipped for him what education looks like. There was now a purpose to it. And anytime you can switch that, that's when the magic starts to happen. And I think that's a great example. Anytime you create something that's purpose-driven for students to really feel like they're making a difference in this world, I think that has to be a win-win for everyone involved. So, um, again, great example. Uh, so uh, I, th I think the most difficult question, and I kind of saved this one for last. This is yeah. always kind of the elephant in the room. So, um, again, Teachers have a problem with how to grade the the work that students are doing in the classroom. You know, how can I, if we're not giving them a quiz every Friday, or if we're not doing a unit test 
on the material, then what am I supposed to do with my grade book? How do you speak to that question, which I'm sure you get all the time? Yeah, we do. And I, I think I draw this out in PBL Simplified in the book because you've got innovators that can maybe work through some of those issues and and create great assessments that maybe don't involve traditional quizzes or tests. We just advocate you're giving traditional quizzes and traditional tests right? along with that. So in that process, maybe before you hit group work, individually I'm doing research underneath this umbrella of this genetics project. I'm going to show you that I've mastered the Punnett square through maybe a traditional test, maybe a traditional quiz, because you need to know that I've learned those academic standards. But it fits underneath this umbrella of meaning, which is really important. Now I know why I'm learning the Punnett Square. It's not to get a grade, because a lot of our learners don't care about grades. Um, and even if they do, they're still not caring about learning, necessarily. Like our high achievers often have a bigger problem with project-based learning, because they know how to get points in the traditional system but they're not necessarily learning. So in when you're talking about grading within PBL, I don't think you change a whole lot, right? I think you still give a traditional quiz. I don't have any problem with that. Like I need to know, in fact, that you do know the Punnett square before you present to a panel of four doctors, because I want to make sure that you're going to do well. But the conversation's different, right? I don't want you to learn the Punnett square so that you get a C or higher. I want you to learn the Punnett square so that you look like an expert when you're in front of a panel. Yeah, and I think that's explained very well. And I, and I think the uh, the explanation you gave there about the public presentation, giving the presentation in front of the four doctors, or having some kind of opportunity for kids to share their work, I think that's the secret sauce in PBL, in my personal opinion. You're, not only are they collaborating and doing the work and trying to solve real-world problems, but at the end of this, they're going to get to stand up, whether it's in front of their peers or their community members or a committee that's been created, and say, hey, guys, this is what we found, and they can be proud of that. And now you've brought some good hard questions, Greg. So I'll give you one that you haven't asked, and maybe it's supposed to be coming up. But is what happens is the learning and the teaching becomes transparent. right? So my learning is now transparent. I'm now going to profess everything I know about the Punnett Square, how I can help people with you know, kids that have genetic diseases. But also as a teacher, in some way, my value is probably based on how Schuyler does. It probably shouldn't be. But in education, it's so personal that a lot of times it is. And it's like, well, what if Skyler says something that doesn't make any sense? Well, the, the spoiler alert is he's going to, right? <laughs> he's going to, but then at least we're going to know, right? And we can teach towards that. So there's a switch that has to happen that it's still personal, it's still passionate work that we do. Our why is still really important. But we start to put the work out there, and we're working on the work, not Ryan's value as a teacher or as a human. Because in PBL, your work becomes transparent. You're inviting community partners in. They're going to see how you run your classroom, right? And in some way, they'll judge that. And you work on it. You just ask for feedback. So I really think that's actually a false start that some teachers have, too, is they realize that, wow, my work's going to become really transparent. Am I ready for that? And that's where your growth mindset has to just kick in and be like, I want great things for kids, which all of our educators do. And this is the best way to do that, to just refine my work and perfect my craft. Yeah, and again, very well said. And I think teachers have to go into this with the understanding that you can do all the planning in the world. It's not going to be a perfect process. You're still going to have bumps along the way. And even if, you know, even yourself, you've been teaching uh, for a long time. If you went back into the classroom today and rolled out a new PBL unit, there would be tweaks you would make along the way. There would be a few mistakes you're going to make along the way. It's not a perfect process. 
Yeah, that's right. And and teaching at any point isn't right. Like even if you teach traditionally, it, things still aren't perfect, and they're not gonna be. So you know, just look them at as learning opportunities. And I think that modeling of that process is really important for our learners. Well, great conversation. Uh, I can talk with you all day about this stuff. Uh, tell our tell our listeners uh, out there that might want to work with you or Magnify Learning how they can get a hold of you and what kind of services do you provide, either virtually or on site. Sure. So if you go to Google and put in Magnify Learning, you'll find us, and you'll see all the services we provide. We do everything from uh, larger district work, starting at the assistant superintendent level and, and training folks down. Really on mindset is probably our biggest piece. Again, the structures and the resources for project-based learning are out there, and we want to work on mindset from top down. Um, we also provide virtual coaching with all of our workshops that we do, because three days in the summer is a start, and then you your staff want to know that they're supported throughout the year in what's really a new instructional model for a lot of them. So the virtual training that goes throughout the year is really important for us as well. Well, thanks again for your time. Good luck with the book. Uh, again, folks, run out and buy the book wherever books are sold. I was on the Amazon website today, and you can pre-order right now for that January 2023 release. Thanks, Ryan, for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you, Greg. Appreciate the conversation. So that's a wrap on this episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating and leave a comment wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. As friends of the podcast, I hope you can give me a follow on Twitter at Dr. Greg Goins, where you can learn more about my work as a partnership ambassador with the Modern Classrooms Project and also about my work with Brave Ed, where innovative school districts across the country are leading change through a benefits-based accountability system that allows school communities to redefine student success. So until next time, folks, thanks for listening and keep fighting for change in your school.